Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. In 2020, events have yet again shone a light on racial inequalities across the globe. Australia is not an exception. Twenty years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Mate, this is just impossible. Too many people were confused. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I have always believed in miracles. That's not a policy. Not now. Not ever. I mean... These comments are completely inappropriate. Oh, I'm sure she's right. But I ain't spending any time on it. How pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves! Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. <laughs> Hello, this is Democracy Sausage Extra. I'm Mark Kenny from ANU's Australian Studies Institute, and I'm, of course, also a former long-time journalist in the press gallery uh, here in Canberra, where I'm based. Uh, was at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age as National Affairs Editor and Chief Political Correspondent for a time, uh, but also worked for the ABC and for News Corp, uh, uh, for News Corp papers. So I say all this because... We are talking today about media, so I thought my own experience uh, in media was germane to that. Uh, what we want to look at is the deli- decline of local news in Australia. In 2019, a report by the Australian Local Government Association found that over 3,000 journalists are estimated to have lost their jobs due to the decline of local news, with print media hit the hardest. In late May, of course, News Corp announced the end of 112 print editions of their suburban and regional papers and that it would close 36 of these entirely. The remainder would be shifted to an online format only, but some argue this is a poor substitute for print journalism. Researchers from the Centre for Media Transition have warned that digital-only newspapers would struggle to serve the communities they target in the way they did when they were print-based. That's a debate that has been raging really in media for some time as this process has been going on, this digitisation process. In response to this decline, some community-led newspapers are stepping into the void left by News Corp closures and the restructures. In Narracourt, for example, in South Australia, local man Michael Waite started his own publication, The News, which has shown promise in terms of financial viability. Not only that, but Mr Waite has reported that he's received many calls from people across Australia who are trying to do the same thing. So there's certainly uh, you know, a grassroots pushback to this, but um, 
Will it be enough? Will it work? Is this a stable situation? So to discuss this, to really drill down into what's going on and what it all means, the decline of local news, uh, I'm joined by someone who really knows this subject very well. Christy Hess is an Associate Professor of Communication at Deakin University. Uh, She's led research into local and community media at that university and she's also the Academic Director of uh, the CPA Deakin Community Journalism Program. Now, Christy, welcome to Democracy Sausage Extra. Thank you for having me. It's a proudly digital format, I guess you could say. (laughs) That's the name. You didn't have podcasts a few years ago, but you certainly have them now. And in fact, in this COVID period, they've uh, they've they've even become more abstract than they used to. In the sense that uh, we now don't even occupy the same rooms when we're recording podcasts. We're we're distributed digitally or however it is um, around the place. So we're in remote locations today. But uh, really glad to have you along. In the decade of 2018, 106 local and regional newspapers closed in Australia. As a consequence, 21 local government areas are now without a local newspaper at all. News Corp's recent announcement to close down further small newspapers and move those other ones online marks a very big shake-up in the industry, uh, and all of these shake-ups seem to be going in the same direction. So what's going on here, Christy? Uh, are we just watching the sort of inexorable, inevitable decline of an old media form that just simply can't survive? I wouldn't say it's the end of the printed publication uh, at this point in time. We know that it, it is still in demand from from audiences. Uh, but what we do know is that uh, the business model is broken, that is has supported public interest journalism for some time. Uh, and COVID-19 has really crystallised just how important advertising revenue is to local news, whether it's being, um, you know, uh, printed or on, on a digital platform. And we know that uh, social media and digital classified um, sites have have absolutely uh, just just destroyed the profits of mainstream media. It's had a devastating impact, not just at the local level. And I guess classified revenue shifted online, but also forms of government uh, advertising that that once used the local papers as their public notice boards, they've also shifted um, towards social media. And I mean, they've all got their own web pages now. For example, they don't they don't really need to put things in the local paper, do they? No, they don't. Uh, there there is legislation in place in some states that requires local government to do so in the local paper. And there are some very uh, problematic inconsistencies in that space, which perhaps we can talk about uh, during this this podcast. Um, I guess the other thing is that audiences are, are fragmenting, so people can seek information that they want to know about, um, the type of information that aligns with their own political views. Um, when we look at the local space, particularly the rise of Facebook buy-sell swap pages have become incredibly popular to the point that they rival the local newspaper um, in today's society. So people can share their wares, sell a car, sell a sell an engagement ring, whatever they like, and and share stories about um, successes or uh, you know uh, missing animals, all of those things that that the local newspaper stands for. Facebook is, is taking up that space, and everyone's a photographer now. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got a, um, a you know quite 
high resolution phone uh, that takes um, or camera in their phone and uh, and they whatever they're doing they can post those pictures. I mean, it used to be, for example, you'd go to the local fete or the local sporting event. There might be the odd person who's carrying around a, a camera, but um, the photos of, of of those kinds of events would be uh, the meat and drink of a local newspaper, but they seem a bit clunky and old school now when everyone's able to take their own and post them on Facebook and have these virtual communities, have a kind of virtual localism through that um, that medium rather than rely on the, on the local paper. They absolutely can, but my research does show that people still have an affinity with the local newspaper. They love to see their own um, picture in the newspaper or that of uh, family members or neighbours because it does represent some type of symbolic recognition for an achievement, um, particularly achievements. So, uh, pub, you know. But is that generational? Sorry to interrupt you there, Christy, but is that sort of generational? I mean, certainly older people who've grown up with newspapers and who see them in that way are going to think that. But do younger people see newspapers like that? I mean, some of them never buy or hold a physical version of the metropolitan papers anyway, they to the extent that they read them, they read them online. Oh, look, absolutely. But I think this is a cultural shift and it takes time. So there is a demand for the printed, um, there still is a demand for the printed publication. Uh, some people don't read it every day. Some people choose to, to, to wait until a Saturday and sit on the couch with a glass of wine to flick through what's been happening uh, in their communities over the, the course of the week. So I guess it's a cultural shift and something that we do need to think about is the need for print in this current environment. So uh, some research that I'm doing at the moment is is really thinking about some of the excellent lessons that we can learn uh, from Australia's response to COVID-19 and how some of the key themes that um, emerged for society might actually inform the future of, of local media. So I guess the first thing is about the um, the essential service that print provides local communities across Australia, particularly those in um, outer rural and regional areas. Um, It's especially important for the older residents that we shouldn't overlook. So just in the past few weeks alone, um, given that I'm part of a, a major national study looking at the future of local newspapers, I've had a lot of calls from from elderly residents who are just quite devastated about the, the collapse of their printed edition. It's what they look for. Uh, it's, it's what they um, need to feel connected to their communities. And I guess the other, the other important point is that uh, there's still a lot of areas around rural Australia that lack broadband connectivity. So the print edition is the reliable journal of record in those spaces, particularly in times of crisis. Um, Not only are they uh, informing people where to go and what to do, but they're helping people make sense of of devastating times, particularly during the bushfires. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Have most? Does your research go to this question? Have most of the local papers that we're talking about around Australia? particularly in regional areas, have they been free? Uh, are they, to the ones that exist now, are they free uh, giveaways or, or do they have a cover price? Look, it is still a tale of mixed fortune. So certainly uh, advertising revenue has plummeted, but I would say a lot of the smaller independent newspapers that exist across the, the nation, that is the ones that aren't owned by 
ACM or um, or News Corp. Uh, most of them are still relying on um, on a cover charge, and so that gives us a good indication of of actual circulation rise and decline. Because if you are actually going to purchase a paper, you're motivated to do so, and you want that content. It's not just dropped into your letterbox. And um, and there's still some areas where the print publication is holding, and and that's areas that we want to explore further as part of our our research into local media in terms of what context does the newspaper manage to stay afloat and and do well. Um, it, these are some of the questions that we don't really have a, a a really comprehensive understanding of at this point in time. Yeah, it's a weird psychology, isn't it? Because uh, some sometimes these free papers, they you know, we all know we've all walked around our local neighborhood and seen some driveways where there's three or four of them being, you know, sort of driven into the into the uh, bitumen over a period of time that no one's picking them up um and that you know, a lot of people would say when something's free, there's no there's no kind of value to it, and so it's not treated with with respect. But uh, there's a limit to what you can charge as well. So it will be interesting to see what your research shows up about that. Uh, the comparisons might be quite hard to to draw because um, you're not always comparing apples with apples. Um, but uh, there's a limit to what you can charge. But if you don't charge anything, perhaps some people don't value it at all either. No, well, it's interesting because I've been very amused. I'm sure we all have by all of the memes out there that um, are highlighting how how effective yesterday's newspaper works as substitute toilet paper. Um, but perhaps we can be fooled into thinking they're not important. But look, the research certainly tells us at this point, uh, not just in Australia but uh, across the Western world, that local newspapers, local news really matters very much to audiences, um, the need for credible, reliable information. Uh, I think it's important to talk about why it matters. And yeah. and, and local news, it, it matters for a few reasons. And the first is when it's done really well, local reporters, they serve as uh, very powerful watchdogs for their communities by covering and scrutinising local councils, which, you know, in in, um, in this day and age, they they are responsible for multi-million dollar budgets. And so it's important that they're being held accountable. But newspapers also matter because they bring together a lot of information that connects people socially and helps them to develop a sense of community. Uh, one of the things that um, has come to light just from my research, I mean, I was a journalist. I went into studying local media about a decade ago. Uh, and, and, and one of the aspects of the paper that people talked about uh, all the time was the importance of the death notice section, which I, I had um, sort of disregarded because it wasn't, it wasn't the, um, you know, public interest journalism that I was probably more interested in talking about. But the ability to, uh, to 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 share memories of loved ones, to pay respect in a in a credible media space that also can be archived for history, that is such an important part of the paper that we shouldn't overlook, and it really does speak to that powerful social role that 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 the paper plays. And this and that's systematic, and this is really an important point too that. If you have a death notices section or, or those, um, those, uh, section of the paper that has birth, deaths and marriages, that there's a, um, a systematic attention to that rather than a kind of a, an ad hoc or, or sort of episodic approach that might work to some extent 
in other forms, but it's if it's not done by journalists, by a dedicated media organisation, local paper, whatever it is, in a systematic way, then it it doesn't really function as that record. Some people will be missed. Uh, you know, some things will be recorded and some things won't. And so there was a real sense in these communities that when you read the deaths, birth and marriages section, you were getting a full account of all of the th- things that had happened in, in those categories. That's right. And I guess as we move into the, the digital space, well, we're, we're already there. But before we leap headfirst in, we need to think about the way that local newspapers are being archived for future generations. So there's still a lot of newspapers around, particularly uh, rural weekly papers, that are difficult to access in their entirety in libraries and they themselves um, don't have uh, like a, like an effective archiving system. So we need to sort all of these things out first before we even think of moving into a digital first space. It's not just about the news that's happening now. It's about the journal of record and and making sure that history is preserved. Let's take a quick break there and when we come back, talk about uh, how that process of, of um, recording events in a local community happens and how it might happen in the future if uh, some of these papers go under and communities respond with their, their own uh, initiatives. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. All right, welcome back. I'm talking with uh, Associate Professor of Communication at Deakin University, Christy Hess, and we were talking about the role of local papers. Um, and we we're at, at, just before the break talking about deaths and births and marriages, for example, and other events. It, it, what rises in my mind is the concern also about journalism as a profession or as a craft, because we see a lot of uh, what some people call citizen journalism these days, um, but it doesn't necessarily conform in the way that someone who calls themselves a journalist professionally uh, doesn't conform to all the um, the rigours that they should uh, abide by in terms of accuracy and timeliness um, and a code of ethics. These are important things, and uh, also the dedication to pursue uh, stories uh, for, as you as you described them before, Christy, public interest journalism reasons. That is, stories that need to be told that sometimes aren't particularly sexy, but you need to stay with them, such as covering local council meetings. That That's really the sort of stuff that's at risk here, isn't it? If we see local papers go under and communities left without that journalism function within them, there are ways in which they can 
those local communities can patch over that absence, but they're not going to do what properly trained journalists would ordinarily do, are they? No, that's right. And uh, and that function of the newspaper, you know, that the importance of of uh, holding power to account is incredibly important um, at at the local level, where often there is only a local newspaper available to to do so. But increasingly, they they have uh, had a drain in resources, and that's very difficult uh, to do in in this current environment. And so we need to be ensuring that we have very healthy news ecologies as as best we can and and diversity in rural and regional Australia so that we aren't just dependent on perhaps one news source to do that. And if I give you the example of of the city of Warrnambool in Victoria, it has a, a regional daily newspaper that's served the region for over 140 years and uh, and it's doing okay. It's an ACM paper, uh, but its its resources are, are quite light. So there has been a hyperlocal that started up in that region, uh, ran by a former journalist for the Australian who's very passionate about her local community, and she is doing a wonderful job uh, uh, keeping local council accountable. She's lodging FOI requests, I think, on a on a monthly basis. And she's um, she's uncovered uh, credit card scandals, uh, some toxic culture within within the council, uh, and I think that that's a really important function that a journalist plays. That the average ordinary citizen, you know, just doesn't quite have the resources or the capabilities to do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And having someone who's been operating uh, in metropolitan media at uh, at a senior level, uh, coming back to a community and giving that community those those skills, that professional judgment, is an enormous boon. But as you say, there isn't the, the, the there just isn't the resources or the general interest for uh, for a, say a metropolitan newspaper to be covering all of these local council decisions. But there are critical decisions that are being taken in in local uh, shire meetings, local council meetings that go to planning, that go to zoning, that go to services that uh, that are absolutely critical to the lives of people in that community. And if no one's covering it, then who knows what can happen? We've seen, I was listening to a story the other morning on Radio National about, I think it was Whittlesea Council, where relations had become so dysfunctional between councillors that uh, it, it, the whole thing essentially melted down. Now, this would have been largely unreported were it not for the for the dogged efforts of a young reporter who stayed with those meetings, reported on it a lot. It eventually got some national coverage and the government had to step in and dissolve that council in the interests of of the constituents. That's the sort of thing that local media can do uh, and that without local media, who knows what could go on. And that's an area that is just so ripe for corruption. Let's be honest about it. When you're talking about councillors um, um, dealing with uh, developers, for example, there's big money involved in some of those things. If you don't have the media shining a light on it, you're asking for trouble. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important just what you're talking about there in terms of really looking uh, critically at the relationship more broadly between government and the media, which has always been a contentious one uh, for the reasons we've just outlined. 
But one area that I think is perhaps underexplored in this discussion about local media and the future of um, its future sustainability is is the role of government advertising spend. Mm-hmm. And we all know that, uh, look, in these very difficult times, the government needs to claw back whatever spending it can across a range of sectors. And while subsidies for local media are, um, oh, it's what everyone's talking about at this point in terms of how we can uh, look look towards a subsidy model to support local media, we need to also look at other levers that are actually available, like what what current money is uh, is circulating in the system and how it's being spent. So when we look at government advertising expenditure, it represents millions of dollars a year for media platforms. Uh, and we've seen a significant rise in this advertising spend towards platforms like Google and Facebook across uh, particularly the last five to seven years. So governments across, you know, local, state and federal are shifting a lot of that advertising spend towards social media, whereas once they used to spend uh, most of that money uh, in traditional and mainstream media outlets. And when we look, when we really drill down at the local level, it's especially telling when we start to assess this relationship between local government and the local press. So, why do you think? Can I just interrupt you? Why do you think that uh, government is shifting its advertising spend to uh, to social media? Is that because it can do so much more cheaply? Is it because that's where the market is that it's trying to reach? Is it a combination of those two things? I think so. I think that's exactly why, but there hasn't been a critical examination of what that has done to the business model that has traditionally supported public interest journalism. So but we would say, we would say, sorry again, but yeah. we would say that as a general rule, we want our governments to spend our money efficiently. We don't want them to be spending money, um, even if it is on advertising, uh, communicating through more expensive means than are necessary with people who are not relevant to the services they are advertising, um, wouldn't we? So, I mean, these things can become quite confused. They can become quite confused, but if we just look at the local sector, for example, over time what's happened, their local government advertising revenue, and so I mean largely the dissemination of public notices, so for the past 100 years or more, the, this type of revenue has actually been a form of silent subsidy for the local press. It was, it's, part of, uh, it's part of legislation in certain states uh, that, you, that, a, that a council is required to actually advertise these notices in the local press. Now, that needs some reassessment and the South Australian government has just done that quite recently. Uh, But also what's happening is councils have been able to withdraw some of the spend that that traditionally supported a local newspaper when they haven't liked what what they've been reading in the local paper. And they've been able to use that funding as leverage for a message that they... Uh, it's more favourable for the local council. So the money that once went into public notice expenditure can be redirected towards a local government publication that's produced by um, a team of of, uh, media relations um, officers employed by the council to, uh, we wouldn't say, uh, or we might say, propaganda in um, in some (laughs) contexts. So we do need to look at how this type of money uh, is being spent and whether it's being spent in the best interests 
of providing reliable, credible information that also has the freedom to to keep government um, uh, accountable for for their actions. Yes. Now, obviously, uh, implicit in all of this is that uh, local media provide uh, a service that isn't being provided by statewide media, for example. Why is it so important for people to know what's going on in their community? Why why is it so vital that uh, there be this record? Oh, it, it's just fundamental to a, a healthy democracy that we know what's going on in our communities, that we can hold the powerful to account and that we can have ready access to information that helps us feel connected to something greater than ourselves. So over time, you know, uh, reliable information like what the local newspaper provides, it is seen as central to to democracy, but also the social fabric of society. There is no doubt about that. And so that leads us to what happens if uh, the company that runs your local newspaper decides that it's going to put it all online or it's not going to do it at all, it's just going to simply pull out and those decisions have been made in the past. Communities respond or can respond and take the initiative themselves uh, the technology, I suppose, allows them to do that. It may not be a print version of the paper, but uh, there are now ways in which uh, local organisations of people can uh, can come together and, and produce something. I mentioned earlier on uh, Michael Waite, uh, who uh, has a thing called the News in Narracourt in South Australia. Uh, his operation, as I understand it, uh, was able to become, to break even at least, really within the first five or six weeks of operation. So that's pretty impressive. It suggests there's still a market there for this kind of news and depending on how you how you can provide it. Is that the sort of thing that's going on now around Australia in these local communities? Yes, there is. I mean, and I think there's evidence of that happening uh, elsewhere, particularly in countries like the UK, where, which have experienced significant declines in local newspapers over the past decade. So where a newspaper closed, a hyperlocal would pop up in its place and, um, and, and have a go. And, and they would last for some time. They would last for perhaps two or three years. Um, but unfortunately, in many instances, the, the profits aren't quite there because of things like advertising revenue being almost stitched up by uh, you know, uh, other other models, um, whether it's the local council uh, publication and the like. I guess the experience, uh, fr- from my research experience, there's certainly profits to be made uh, from a from a local paper, but that local journalism and, and local media, the profits are never on a large scale, and the model can't be massified. So there's been companies like Patch in the U- US that that um, just went nationwide and uh, and they tried to be all things to all local people but it lost that sense of uh, of uh, you know niche local uh, news that that people were really after so that didn't last well I think what's been happening in the sector over the last uh, 10 to 15 years if we look towards some of the major news companies that um, that own quite a considerable number of local newspapers in Australia News Corp and ACM what we've seen over time is some major cost cutting within the local sector so profits are down 
any money that is coming in from from the local papers is being pumped back into metropolitan areas. Resources that are available are being pumped back into into uh, the bigger cities and ultimately to shareholders. And in my experience, it's very clear that um, that 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 doesn't work because you start to lose a sense of the local uh, communities respond they know when what they're reading doesn't really have a sense of local news and and information and and we also know that they don't respond well uh, when they call a newspaper to put in a death notice and they're being transferred to a call center in the philippines uh, to try to cut costs and uh, and on the other end of the phone someone's asking um asking a, a resident how to spell a very prominent name, uh, family name or street name, you know, the magic that is the local newspaper, that it that it stands in for community and, and serves as centre to the local, it just dissipates. And uh, I guess my colleagues overseas in, in the UK and, and uh, the US, they've referred to these types of publications as zombie newspapers because they become local in name only and, and full of syndicated content. And one would would predict really that they they are the first to fall in situations like this because they don't have that audience loyalty and uh, and ultimately then they don't have the advertising support. Yes, and 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 people are onto that sort of thing in a, in in a flash, aren't they? Really, if they can tell they're not getting genuine local product and the and the people who are making the editorial decisions aren't across what is significant within a community, and even the pronunciation of of names, as you say. Can can be uh, you know a marker of of that lack of localism. I remember years ago, for example, uh, Channel Ten uh, closed down. This is back when I was in Adelaide. Closed down the uh, the news operation they were running there and 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 syndicated there. I think it was the five pm Eyewitness News, as they called it. Uh, I think it was syndicated out of Melbourne. And one of the ways they they tried to deal with that is that. They had their reporters not actually mention the city, so you'd get these um, stories on the news about a car, you know, crashing, th- you know, through a, an intersection and into the front lounge of of some house, uh, and there'd be the picture of the car and everything else. But it, you would never, <laughs> it would never be said which city this had occurred in. It, it was just left ambiguous because uh, they were able to, you know, syndicate that way, and I think people were onto that quite quickly. One of the problems it seems to me, though, that journalism has at this critical moment is that it's kind of caught between i mean as you were saying before christy governments don't really like journalists particularly journalists who are doing their job which is not to be popular with with government their job isn't to be you know buddying up to the government and there's a few i know who might ought to remember that um but they're also not particularly well liked by the community i mean journalism is not Regarded by the broader community as a you know hugely, I mean we're, we're sort of it's down there with politicians and used car salesmen, um, so it's it's pretty hard to get the uh, you know get the the enthusiasm going for things like subsidies uh, for for making changes to fund public interest journalism if if governments have an antig- antagonistic relationship with journalists and the public has an ambivalent relationship with journalists. Doesn't look like the sort of ideal situation for um, there being much money coming to it in any time soon. 
I don't know about that, Mark, because there are quite a number of initiatives that are that are happening at the moment, particularly around local news in terms of how to support local news because the research highlights that audiences want it. Uh, they have an affinity for uh, for local news and and um, and and often the local newspaper editor is a very powerful figure in the community because uh, you know the. the just think about the importance of the classic editorial. And uh, and the local newspaper for the last century has performed a very powerful role in advocating and campaigning on behalf of their communities, whether it be for social change or new equipment. There's many, many examples of a local newspaper doing exactly that, whether it be um, just examples are... Um, one newspaper has uh, attracted a uh, cancer treatment centre. Another has led to major road upgrades. Uh, you know that was caused. There was quite a number of accidents in in that location. So they do play a very powerful role in that sense, and the community look to them for for that purpose. But I guess what I, I will say, you know, we we ha- we currently have a fifty million dollar public interest journalism fund that's been set up um, to service news outlets across Australia. There's uh, an additional five million dollars for rural and regional publishers. Um, there is definitely, I mean, philanthropic organisations such as the Judith Nielsen Foundation, uh, they are very keen to support initiatives that um, that uh, that look at new ways of doing local journalism and supporting startups that uh, that want to have a go in rural and regional areas. But th- there is an appetite. Well, that's that's a very encouraging thought. One idea that uh, I heard Alan Fells uh, talking about is, of course, former chair of the ACCC, um, but he's uh, now interested in this, very strongly interested in this issue, and he was talking about tax breaks uh, for, um, or, or at least making the purchase price of your newspaper, for example, or your subscription tax deductible, and also uh, tax breaks for uh, philanthropic donations or investments in media. Those kinds of things could they work? Are they are they the sorts of things that are genuinely on policymakers' radar? Look, absolutely. I think that the uh, the tax incentives are a really important initiative. Uh, it's not a new idea. This is what is happening in Canada as we speak. So in Canada, there has been I think it's a twenty five percent refundable tax credit for salaries and wages paid to uh, journalists. Uh, I think it's a 15% income tax credit for digital news subscriptions. And, of course, philanthropists are also um, getting some tax incentives to donate to news enterprises. So the model does exist. Uh, That has been suspended temporarily in Canada, I should note, just during COVID-19 because when the money comes in, the next challenge is to look at how to distribute it. So in Canada, they have a, their own $50 million uh, local journalism initiative and they've outsourced uh, the decision-making to I think about seven not-for-profit organisations uh, looking at how best to uh, make sure that money's being spent in areas where there is the greatest need. And that's something important that we need to think about here in Australia that is the, the emerging news gaps that are existing, particularly in outer rural and regional areas. We need to make sure that every community across Australia has access to reliable, credible information. 
So when subsidies are being put on the table or ideas around tax credits, we need to make sure that some of that money can be directed where it's needed most. Yes. Well, I just hope that uh, some of these decisions are taken before uh, these, in some cases, venerable old local papers uh, hit the fence because once people don't have them, there will, I think there will be a much sharper sense of what people have lost than perhaps there is when these things are still around. And I did see a, a story on uh, TV just a couple of nights ago of a community that was campaigning to keep its local paper and they, they'd they all gathered there on, on the, the local sports ground and they were, you know, making quite a, a colourful protest of it. But at the glimpse I saw, there were very few young people there. It was mostly older people. Now, that may just be the demographic of that local area, but uh, but one wonders whether it is also a function of the fact that these papers have a much stronger relationship with people who grew up with them uh, than... Um, than younger people. Look, it's been absolutely terrific talking to you, Christy Hess, about all of these issues. We've covered some of the area. There's there's so much more that could be said, and uh, and uh, I'm uh, very grateful for your time, and uh, be very interested in the outcome of your ongoing research. Thank you. No, look, here's hoping that we we can uh, that the local newspaper can survive into the future, whether it's in the print or digital format. You know that's. That's uh, we we don't know, but um, but well, it matters, doesn't it? It does matter though, because I mean, my my mum, I can't even send her an email because you know she's not of that generation, and uh, I don't believe a, a, an online newspaper for her is a viable option. And there'll be plenty of people in her category. Oh, absolutely, yes, we we know that for sure. Well, thanks very much, Christy Hess. Uh, terrific talking to you uh, onward and upward with your research and thank you uh, for joining us on Democracy Sausage Extra. I'll be back on Monday with another Democracy Sausage. Until then, bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.